You are listening to Unified Through Chronic and Mental Illness with your hosts, Angie Roberts and Kimberly Murphy. Please be advised that some of the topics of this podcast can be triggering and sensitive in nature. The RecoveryVillage.com says approximately 0.5% or 1 out of 200 people have narcissistic personality disorder. About 75% of those people are men. Welcome back to Unified, guys. This is Angie. Today we are talking about narcissistic personality disorder. The DSM-5 says there are nine characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder. Someone must have five of the nine to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. So the first one is a grandiose sense of self-importance. So, you know, everything they do is like so much bigger. They like stretch everything they're saying and everything um, is huge. And like they have huge plans. Maybe they've never even taken a business class, but they're going to open their own company. They're going to, you know, get rich on some sort of idea that they have. And they fully believe that they actually can do this. So, right. And that leads, that leads right into that second one, a preoccupation mm-hmm. with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or love. Exactly. So with that power and the unlimited success, you know, was something you were talking about. Right. And like the self-importance, you know, they expect everyone else to treat them like they are important. So... They do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What's number three? Number three, a belief that he or she is special and unique and can only be understood by or should associate with other special or high status people. I think that pretty much explains itself. I know they have a need for excessive admiration, and this one is huge. Um, They really thrive when they have an audience. Yes. Everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. They're very charismatic. They're very manipulative. Oh, yeah. um, but they're manipulative in a way that people just don't see. They are manipulative in making you like them. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. They make you like them so much that you will never believe right. the other person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when they unless tell you that yep. they're a mean person. Unless like you they see would it never for believe yourself. You. Yeah. Unless you see it for right. yourself. Yeah. And they have a huge sense of entitlement. Yeah, they do. Um, they expect um, to be the boss. They expect to be, you know, in charge all the time. Yep. Um, they, they, they don't have the same rules as everybody else, and they're, they're okay with that. That's, that's the way it should be. They also have an interpersonal exploitative behavior. So that means they take advantage of others to achieve their own goals. Yeah, they definitely have an agenda and they they won't stop. They will definitely use other people to reach to reach that agenda. Right. And, like, you know, like when you first meet them, they want to know everything about you and you don't really learn anything about them. And that's so they can hold that over your head later. And that's one of the exploitative, I think, behaviors, because, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely to achieve a goal. Absolutely. And they're taking advantage of you. Yeah, it's really manipulative information. It's funny because um, real quick, I'll just tell you that my father um, told me that one of the ways to really get people uh, to like you, (laughs) and he he was so proud to say this, 
is to never say anything about yourself and just ask them questions because people love to talk about themselves and you can learn a lot. Mm -hmm. So there you have it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, They also lack empathy. So yeah, they don't care about anybody else but themselves. If it doesn't have to do with them, they really don't. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Right. Another one is they're envious of others or believe that others are envious of them. Mm. You know, um, they, they kind of play have, games too, right? They play games so that like they want other people to be envious of them, but really deep oh, down definitely. they're envious of other people. Yes. And we'll talk about that a little later, mm-hmm. but yeah, what makes them. And we're not trying to say that these people are horrible people. This is something that is a mental disorder. It's a real mental disorder. And that's what we want to bring to light that it's not just like a something that word is thrown around so much narcissism. Mm -hmm. So we really want you to know what narcissism or narcissistic personality disorder is and that it's an actual personality disorder. Right. And like the last one is a demonstration of arrogant and haughty behaviors or attitudes. I know so many people who have this trait, but they're not narcissists. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) I know a lot of arrogant people. (laughs) Right. But um, I do too. I mean, I would expect sort of this one to be a part of narcissistic personality disorder with all the self importance and, you know, envy and, and all of that. So that makes sense. Right. People don't realize that they don't know. They really don't. They're a narcissist. (laughs) They don't. They really don't. They really think that they're not narcissists. So because this is, like I said, this is a a behavioral disorder. It's not just a characteristic flaw or a characteristic trait of somebody. You can have these traits. And like I said, and the DSM-5 says you have to have five of those nine traits. So. You know, uh, most people, we know people that have one or two of the traits. Uh, oh, yeah. We may have one or two of the traits. <laughs> yeah, I know I do. <laughs> right? So, yep. but that doesn't mean we're narcissistic. Right, we're the, right. We have narcissistic personality disorder. And the difference with us is we, if we're aware that we have a couple of the traits, we can work, you know, right. for therapy or whatever to change those things. So, right. whereas the narcissist really cannot do that. So, yeah. And that's, I think that's so sad. It is very sad. It is very sad. Yeah. And it's really hard for the families that are with these people. So, and friends and, you know, whoever they come into contact with. So people with narcissistic personality disorder have trouble handling anything that they perceive as criticism. They can become impatient or angry when they don't receive special attention. Mm hmm. They can explode. They can be explosive, really. They can be very explosive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a scary thing if you haven't seen it. They have a significant interpersonal problem and easily feel slighted. So they feel like you've basically gone against them. And um, that can lead to certain consequences, too. Oh, yeah. Of their behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can be rageful and they can explode. They try to belittle the other person to make themselves feel better. They like to feel superior in any way they can. So they have difficulty regulating their emotions and their behavior. Um, They experience mild problems dealing with stress and adapting to change. 
they really don't like change. They like to be in control. So if they're not changing something and you're changing something, that just makes them off. They do not like that. And I mean, they can be really depressed and moody if they fall short of their the perfection that they have in their mind. So again, there's a lot of perfectionists out there. That doesn't mean you're a narcissist, but this is something that the narcissist deals with is perfectionism. Um, and I wanted to mention a couple of things, like some of the things they do um, is like triangulation. So say there's two people that are really close and the narcissist feels like uh, their relationship in some way is getting in the way of the admiration they should be receiving or something that they want, they will start to pit the two people against each other. Um, so it could be a friend, it could be a family member, uh, it could be a spouse that does it to um, the spouse and the child or the children in the house. Right. So there's many ways that can show up. Um, and then there's gaslighting. Can you explain that, Angie? Yeah, gaslighting is when, pretty much when they make you feel like you're the crazy one. They will say, I never said that, you're making that up. Say you're having a conversation with a narcissist and you say something to them that you don't like or you know something that happened. And they'll say, I never said that. That never happened. No, this is what happened. What do you mean? And they'll kind of look at you like you're crazy. And they're so charming and manipulative that they can twist what happened or they're hoping they can twist what happened and put it back at you so that you feel like you're the one that's crazy. And that's exactly what they're mm -hmm. trying to do. They're trying to make you feel like you're the one that's crazy. Oh, you're the one that's at fault or yep. whatever their agenda exactly. for that fight might be. They, and it could be something as simple as you made me do this because you were acting stupid. Yeah. You know, that's a form of gaslighting. So um, what is OK? And here's something completely opposite. What is love bombing, Angie? A lot of love bombing happens at the beginning where they just drop all the love on you. They they're finding out, like I said earlier, they're finding out so much about you. Oh, you like roses. Okay. They send you a dozen roses the next day. You mm -hmm. like chocolates. They send you chocolates with the dozen roses. Oh, she likes to go. This is her favorite restaurant. Oh, honey. I booked us a table at our favorite restaurant. Love bombing. Oh, I, I'm in love with you. They fall in love early. Really? Fast. You know, I'm right. I am in love mm -hmm. with you. You're, you're the most beautiful person in the whole world. You're my everything, you know, I'll never leave you all these. Right. And then things. Like, you're like, I'm sure. And then the person's like, oh, my God, I, I just met this most fabulous person who treats me so good because yeah. you're just swept up in it, you know. Right. And then what happens after that is discarding. So they'll put you through this whole thing and then they'll just. And it's, it doesn't mean they'll break up with you, but in, a, in an emotional way, they kind of just throw you away. And then you'll see a completely different person and you're always trying to get that love bombing back. And that's what they want you to do. They want you to crave what they gave to you, kind of like a drug. And they'll give you little bits and pieces just to keep you on the line, on the hook. Right. So that you don't leave and you're, you're still like showering like admiration on them and you're doing everything they want to try to get that back. Especially after they've, they know that they've pushed some buttons on you and that you might leave. They go back to that major love bombing stage. And then you get discarded again. Right. Yeah, it's a terrible roller coaster. And anyone who's been with somebody who does that, it's it's really hard to deal with. It makes you feel incredibly crazy and desperate. And that's that's a horrible feeling for anybody. You should never feel that way 
in a relationship. You should never feel desperate for their attention. No. They should want to give you their attention. Right. And then um, one of the things they do, too, is like, okay, so let's say you do end up breaking up with a narcissist and you're not like friends anymore. You're not dating anymore or whatever it may be. They'll go on a major smear campaign. They will try to tell like if it's a family member, they'll tell all the other family members how horrible you are. Uh, Uh If it's a friend, they'll tell all the friends how horrible you are. They'll try to get ahead of it and twist the story. Uh, And because they're so admired They'll send all their little flying monkeys after you Mm -hmm. or they'll get this whole little group that's all against you. And the narcissist will be like, see. And they can sometimes turn your family and your friends. Absolutely. Against you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they are that good. And your family will really be against you. And I mean, I've even heard of people losing their jobs because they'll they'll go to your job until you're fired and they can't deal with it anymore. Or they'll say things to your boss if they know who they are. Um, Because they're very good at this. And those smear campaigns are so horrible because the person tends to be isolated already because the narcissist tried to isolate them. And when they do isolate them, when they try to isolate them, they're usually successful because, again, you're trying to please them. You know, it's like a slow uh, manipulation into abuse. They do it very slowly. So you don't realize. They do. So you don't really see what's going on. They act like this, but really they have secret feelings of insecurity, shame, vulnerability, and humiliation. Um, The cause of narcissistic personality disorder is unknown and most likely complex as most mental diseases are. However, it may be linked to environmental mismatches in parent and child relationship with either excessive adoration or excessive criticism that is poorly attended to the child's experience. Which I can definitely relate to and I'll be talking about in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, genetics, it also may have inherited characteristics. So may have inherited. Which surprises me. That surprises me, but we're finding out a lot about genetics that we didn't know before. Yeah, And the neurobiology, so that's the brain science, Um, The connection between Mm -hmm. the brain and behavior and the thinking is not right. I have heard before that like a severe trauma before the age of six uh, could cause narcissistic personality or borderline um, personality disorder. One of the two, Um, you know, and again, it's, that's not everybody, but they do feel that if a major trauma occurred, that's a possibility too. So, yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. (laughs) in a little while. (laughs) Okay. So when talking about prevention, there's really no way to prevent the condition. However, it could help to get treatment ASAP for childhood mental health issues. So like if you're noticing that your child has a lot of these traits and you're a parent, you know, bring them in to get therapy early, um, which makes sense that they would have a better chance. Yeah. Don't be embarrassed. Honestly, Um, children are in therapy a lot nowadays and and it's a good thing because uh they don't have to go silently with with their issues and um they have a better chance of being the person that they're supposed to be because thank goodness our mental health system has gotten a little bit better yes thank goodness 
I do. Um, and, you know, participate in family therapy to learn healthy ways to communicate or deal with emotional stress. And you can also take parenting classes and seek guidance from therapists or social workers if you need to. They they are definitely there. Yeah. Um, social workers are great. And, you know, if, if you just call your guidance counselor at the school, they're, um, the school your um, child is attending, sometimes they can help you work with your child. I know social workers kind of have a bad rap. They want to help people. So that's why they're in the job. And quickly, I just want to let people know that um, I actually called a social worker. I called CPS. <laughs> On herself. <laughs> <laughs> On myself. <laughs> I was so desperate. I was so desperate because I had tried so many things with my son and he was going through so much. And um, so I finally called CPS and said, I don't know what to do. I'm like out of options here. And she was so sweet and she gave me some resources. So don't be afraid to call. You're obviously a good parent if you're willing to do something like that. And that's how they see right. it. They really don't want to take your kids. So my story comes from a perspective of uh, my my father was a narcissist, and um, of course, he wasn't diagnosed. Most of them aren't. Um, but I was raised by a narcissist, and he started um, doing some of the things that we talked about. The earliest I can remember is when I was about, I want to say, eight or nine, my father asked me if I wanted to be adopted. And we were in the car, and I can remember this vividly. And I said, where would I live? And he said, you would live with your aunt, Anne. And of course, being a kid, I was like, what school would I go to? Well, I still have my friends. And so, right. Um, and he, right. And he was like telling me what school I would go to. And then he told me that the reason why I would be adopted by someone else is because my mother wanted to commit suicide because she always wanted a boy what? and not a girl. So, and I imagine he probably said a lot of things before that, because you don't just start there. You know what I'm saying? But I don't have a memory for it. But of course, being a child, I had no idea it was odd. I had no idea it was wrong. Uh, I believed everything he said. He was my father. Um, my father and I were very close because I, when you're told that your mother hates you and your mother wants to die because of you, you, are, you I mean, for myself and, and probably a lot of kids, and I still feel guilt over this, which is ridiculous, but um, I, I believed him. So I really thought my mom was, was right. the devil. He would give gifts all the time, and he always wanted to be big daddy on the campus no matter where he was. So he always wanted people, you know, he had to have the nice watch. And he had to have the nice stuff. And we were really poor when I was born, and he really did build himself up. And I do give him credit for that because we went from having nothing to – you know, living in a really expensive place um, and he had all the nice stuff. So, you know, it took him a while to get there, but he got there and uh, he was very generous with his money because he wanted people to admire him. And that was really the thing. And he was very charismatic and very funny and people really liked him. Um, but he also had this very explosive personality. There was a lot of yelling in my house. Um, once I turned like 10 or 11, I, could, I couldn't do anything right. I wasn't his like little girl anymore. So I started to question things. 
And of course, that's no good with a narcissist. You can't do that. Um, Yeah. So, you know, that got really hard for me. And uh, there was tons of yelling. And my father's thrown plates of food at me and stuff when I didn't want to eat when I was little. Actually, the first time time that happened, I was five. My mom, I I don't remember, but my mom says he threw a plate of spaghetti at me because I said it looked like worms. And you know how kids are. And he just took the plate and just dumped it all over my head. He was so mad. Um, He used to get like explosive at work too. And um, because he was like the one that the guy who owned the company thought he was so brilliant that he was afraid to fire him. So he gave him anything he wanted. He had a fridge with like beer in it at work. Who does that? (laughs) Um, (laughs) They paid paid for everything. They did anything he wanted and they even gave him his own company uh, later on. So this is stuff that narcissists like they can really get ahead just by bullshitting. If you, I mean, I hate to say it that way, but that's what it is. They charm people. They have, they make people believe in them so much and they believe in, they believe they can do it. Like they honestly believe that they are uh, above everybody else. They really do. Uh, My father used to say all the time, how stupid people are. He was constantly saying how stupid Mm. people are. Um, Yeah. And I think, I think in my case, uh, my mom was really young and she came from a bad situation. And so he kind of raised her in a little bit of a way too. She was Uh. super young. Um, And so, yeah. So I think that he just really likes to, and that was the same situation. He picks a girl who is young and dependent on him. You know, this fits the script of everything we were saying. Uh, And then, you know, they have a baby and he just tries to keep us away from each other, keep us hating each other and loving him. Later on in his life, and it never stops. Here's an example. When I was uh, in my early 20s, my parents wanted to go on a family vacation. And um, I had a baby. So I was like, yes, I would love to go. And um, we got to the place. And my father decided that he wanted to go to the grocery store. Or this is what he told my mother. He wanted to go to the grocery store to get some things. We went down there. He asked me if I would go. And there was a jewelry Mm -hmm. store there. So he says to me, he wants to go in and buy a ring for a woman that he worked with. Now, my mother worked with my father and they actually had her desk was actually in his office oh, for wow. years. Like, she couldn't even have her own office. So, yeah. Um, so. I'm like, why are we going to the why would you want to buy a ring for somebody at work? What is going on? And he said he wanted to ask this woman to, to marry. What? And the. Yeah. And I said, what about mom? What do you do? And he's like, oh, your mother's unhappy anyways. She doesn't want to be oh, with wow. me. Uh, yeah. He always talked about how unhappy she was. Like, I never heard anything different. So it made you um, believe that she was unhappy. Uh, I, I did. I really did believe that. I didn't think what he was doing was right. And I was really upset. So I went back to the house and basically I packed up and left. Right. And of course, my mother, my mother thought at the time that it was because I couldn't wait to get back to my boyfriend who I was dating. Oh, wow. Uh, and that wasn't it. And I, of course, couldn't tell her. I couldn't right. tell her. I wasn't going to tell her. I didn't know what to do. I kept that secret for years. Um, and I didn't tell my mom until my father passed away. And we started having these conversations. And uh, these things started coming out. And she said, she's like, what? She was mortified. She was so upset. And she said, Kimberly, I'm so sorry that you, I mean, you were, that's abuse. You were abused since you were a baby. What do you? I can't believe this is happening. And she was legitimately right. oh, shocked. That's just. 
And, you know, we missed out on a lot of life. Yeah. Uh, it was so bad that I, I wasn't even um, a part of the household at 14. After, after 14, I didn't have any family for a while. So um, it got really bad. And so she's looking back on this. I'm looking back on this. And we're just like, we didn't know what to think. We were just stunned and shocked and mortified and you know, and of course he's not here anymore. So we can't say anything. We can't confront him. We have, there's nothing we can do with the information except try to rebuild a relationship um, now because we still have now. In a way it was good for me because I needed that. It felt really good to know that I wasn't the bad person that um, I was groomed by a narcissist and that wasn't my fault. Um, I'm really mad that I didn't have like my mom. If I, if I wasn't going to have my mom, it should have been because her and I didn't get along, not because somebody else forced it. Um, And why would a father do that? And that's really hard to sit with. It's really hard to sit with the knowledge that my father wanted his, his agenda was more important than what was good for his daughter. That's sad. And that's sad. Yeah. So, um, Anybody out there who's who's been raised by a narcissist, I, I just first want to say I'm so sorry. I know how hard it is. Uh, they expect a lot of you. Uh, they're perfectionists. And yet at the same time, they never really want you to do very well. They want you to do well enough so you look good with them. They want you to look good so they can brag about you. Oh, right. But not so much that they don't look good anymore. Right. You can't be better than them. That's right. not OK. No. So, um and they have to hog every conversation. So you rarely can really talk to your parent because if you tell your parent something, they tend to turn it around and make it about themselves. So it's hard communicating with them too. Um, so I would just say to anybody out there who has a parent like this, you know, talk to someone about it. Um, get the therapy. I'm in therapy now and it is helping. It's really, it's kind of like that movie Inception where you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> Looking back and going, you're like, you're reevaluating your entire life. You're playing everything over in your life and you're seeing it in a completely different way. And you're just, it does blows your mind. It really does. So, um, yeah, it's hard to be a child of a narcissistic parent. Um, but I'm here to, I'm I'm a survivor. And she's a great person. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. So my story isn't really about myself. It's about um, my best friend of over 20 years. Um, Her husband was a narcissist. He was never, you know, diagnosed as a narcissist, but, you know, everybody really loved him. Mm -hmm. And when we met him, he was like, we were hanging out. So, you know, like I said, we were best friends. So I knew him too, of course. Everybody loved him and he was really charismatic and just loved um, everything. And he, you know, just tend to love everybody, supposedly. And um, he really loved bombed her in the beginning. He um, just everything that she would want, he would get for her and everything that she needed to hear, he would say, but it didn't take long until she couldn't talk or look at another guy. And we were in high school. 
how are you not supposed to like talk to another guy who's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. Right. He started alienating her from her family at a very young age. Um, uh, probably about, oh, I can't. Well, when they started dating, he started, he started alienating, um, from her friends and her family, but he never, for some reason, um, alienated us. He never pushed us apart. And I think it's because like back then I used to have a crush on him too. And I thought he was the hottest thing. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that he thought I, um, helped his grandiose personality (laughs) i fed his ego yeah he had a bigger audience so he never believed he always thought that we were you know i was always for their relationship or whatever um he did start beating on her and um (laughs) he did start beating on her and then after 20 years um, of them being married, he actually murdered her. It's a really hard thing to talk about. He made her work up to three jobs at one time. Um, he never held up a job. He tried to, but he he would always quit and then just let her do whatever, whatever they needed to do to get um, the bills paid. Unfortunately, she had a lot of hard jobs in it. It took a lot of stress. It was a lot of stress on her. He had actually stabbed her one time in the hip before he he stabbed her and murdered her. And he actually blamed that on her. Um, if, if, How did you he know, blame it if, on her? Well, if you wouldn't. He had some crazy idea that she was cheating on him he was also on drugs i do want to say that he was also on drugs but um because you're when you're working three jobs you have a lot of right time to cheat. exactly um mm-hmm. yeah. so i don't understand where he got that from but it was a it's it was just something that he it even went back to you know when i was talking about in high school that she couldn't talk or look to another look at another guy or they were you know having sex so my dad was like that with my mom. She couldn't look at anybody and he would like scream at guys. If yes, it was, her, so. it was horrible. Um, but yeah, yeah, so, you know, well, if you, if you hadn't got me so upset and making me think that you can cheat on me, I wouldn't have done that. And then like two days later, <sighs> she's still saying, you stabbed me in the side. And he's like, oh, but you forgave me for that. And, you know, so that twisted her reality. No. She's trying to make her think she's the crazy one. Lots of gaslighting. And and then he would love bomb her after that because she'd be ready to leave. But, you know, because he was such a likable person, everybody believed. Actually, everybody believed that he didn't stab her in the side. They didn't believe anything for, well, a lot of them didn't believe anything until the, the night that she was murdered. So... Um, that's how good that's so he was. So before, um, right before he murdered her, he was like really love bombing her with roses and, um, our carnations actually, because she loved carnations and, um, 
with phone calls at work and texts and hey baby and I love you and uh, they just seemed to click again she said and um, he was doing so much you know for her and he loved her so much and that's what she would tell me and then um, he started acting erratic again and she left him and and then she ended up or he ended up murdering her so um it was a big deal the love bombing um before things happen so just don't forget the love bombing has the discarding after afterwards So we do have a special guest for you guys. Her name is Amy. She was in a relationship with a narcissist for almost 12 years. She has an interesting point of view. She actually got out of the relationship and rebuilt her life in a way that is very inspiring. She did. So hi, Amy. Welcome to Unified. Hi. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Let's just jump right in. Um, Amy, what kind of uh, mental state were you in when you first met this person? Um, Well, it's kind of a long drawn out story, but I'll give you the short of it. I had left my previous husband for similar reasons, actually. He was Mm -hmm. also kind of verbally abusive and very controlling, but he did it in a very sneakily way. Mm -hmm. I had a friend who helped me get out of that and I was living in a safe house with my children. Oh, wow. I was looking for a place to live at the time and answered an ad in a paper for rooms for rent. and. Mm -hmm. Had I, you know, had very little income because I had been home taking care of the kids, I thought, oh, this is the perfect chance for me to kind of start over. Mm-hmm. What I know was he was really looking for somebody to move in and start a relationship with. Um, oh. I, I wasn't fully healed from my last relationship before I jumped into that one. Um, I ended up renting the rooms. And before I knew it, he had me wrapped around his little fingers. Um and, you know, honestly, I did have a physical attraction to him. So mm-hmm. that was the main thing at, at the very beginning. You know, it wasn't so much emotional or anything else. I just, I um, needed that, that person in my life. And he gave me a sense of security at the time because I didn't have any place to live. Right. That's an amazing way to start a relationship, like living together right off the bat. So, yeah, I mean, it accelerated quite quickly, you know, being that I was already there 24 seven. So it was like jumping in and playing house almost. Yeah. Right. It wasn't the smartest thing. I was insecure at the time because I was younger. I was vulnerable because I had just left somebody, you know, to get out of a mm-hmm. different bad relationship. Mm-hmm. I certainly was lonely and depressed. There were so many factors going into it, but looking back, right. I wish I just hadn't jumped into things so quickly. I was just going to ask you, were there any red flags that, you know, you see now um, oh, yeah, that you definitely. overlooked at the time? And honestly, I saw red flags during the relationship, too, but I kept ignoring them. Mm-hmm. Um, right. He had a huge anger toward his ex, um, and that should have been a red flag to me, but it wasn't. He was drinking alcohol all the time. And at the time, I thought, oh, we're just doing it to have fun, but. I wasn't a huge drinker, but I started drinking with him thinking, oh, it'll, it'll be good. Um, but it wasn't. Right. And um, he was expecting me to report to him 24 seven, no matter what I did or where I went. He was extremely jealous of even my friends or me going to see family. 
Um, he wow. hated animals. Duh, I should have seen that one coming. <laughs> right. um, yeah. And I just ignored them all. But then he had this endearing side where he was taken care of and had custody of his two-year-old granddaughter. And he was so uh, good with her. I was like, how can this man be bad when he's so good with his granddaughter? Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and he had a teenage daughter and his ex-wife had left him with the two-year-old granddaughter and his youngest daughter. So I was like, wow, you know, that's that's pretty amazing that he's stepping up and taking care of them. Did he ever love bomb you? Yeah, that, he definitely was. You know, he was always giving me jewelry, always giving me flowers. And if we would have any kind of disagreement or argument or he would upset me um, through how he was behaving, he would always give me a gift to make up for that and say how sorry he was. Mm-hmm. So that right. was definitely like a, a, a pattern that and very early on started that I didn't see. I was like, oh, he must be really sorry that he treated me this way or yelled at me or, you know. So that's he, how he got you to stay. Right. Yeah, that was part yeah. of it. He was he was right. always, you know, bringing me gifts and and being like, I really didn't mean to act that way. And I believed him. What were some of the worst things he did uh, to make your life really unbearable when you were living with him and already in the relationship? Yeah, well, I, I know it was like, um, I want to say six or seven months in where it was starting to become more volatile. And mm-hmm. he would always blame his behavior on his drinking, of course. But there was one time where it escalated to him physically throwing everything I owned out the door. And I came home from shopping one time and all of my things were sitting in the carport. Some of it was broken because he literally just threw everything out. And that was one Mm. of the ways that he kind of controlled me because he knew I was afraid of being homeless and he owned his house. So the Mm -hmm. rooms I was renting, I felt like I didn't have any control over. And he would just, every time he would get mad, he would threaten to throw me out. Um, That kind of lingers with you. You know, it doesn't just go away, even though I've been away from this man for three plus years now. Right. It's just so like those triggers come up and it's, it's awful. It's hard to get away from. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're suffering from some sort of PTSD after a relationship like that. I mean, I know in the very beginning, I was doing a lot of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, like mm-hmm. when I, when I left to everybody, like friends, like, I'm sorry, am I being like, not good enough? Like, I felt not good enough, right. because he beat me down. So I felt like I was lazy. I was psycho. I was like, all of these things that deep down, I really wasn't. But because he said them to me so much, I started believing them. Right. Yeah, they do that with the gaslighting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The gaslighting was big because he would accuse me of things that he himself had done, but I wasn't like cheating. Found out after the fact that he was cheating. And whenever he did it, he would blame me and take the guilt off from him and put it on me, even though I wasn't doing any of that. Right. You know, he would turn my family and friends against me. So I had no support system at all. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, he made wow. me feel like I was crazy. I was mm-hmm. never right. I couldn't clean good enough. I couldn't do anything good enough. You know, so I was always trying to live up to what he expected of me and it was never going to be enough. So at what point did you feel brave enough to ap- actually leave and stay away? Did you try to leave? Did you try to leave before and go back to him ever or? I did. I, okay. did that. I think about, I think it was three or four times I did that in the 10 to 11 years or 12 years that we were together. Mm-hmm. Um, I went through a couple of cycles where I actually got out and got my own apartment 
And he would be like, oh, I'm so lonely without you. I miss you. I'll stop drinking. I promise. Just come back. Mm -hmm. And every time I would fall into that and let me and let him take me back. Um, So, you know, I had separate apartments for quite a long time in both two instances that I recall. Mm-hmm. And every time he talked me into going back um, and each time, each time I would stay away just a little bit longer. So I was just trying to like build up the courage to like, no, I like, I knew the red flags were there. I don't want to go back, but I kept getting drawn back into him. Right. And that's what they do. You know, it was just like, I, I found that I was trying to like collect ways and proof to reassure myself that I'm okay here. I'm not the one doing what he's saying. Right. So he was making you feel crazy pretty much. Yeah, definitely. With all the gaslighting and. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I wasn't allowed to feel how I did. Like if I was like upset, he'd be like, you have no reason to feel that way. I give you everything, you know? Right. Um, But it it got so bad with him saying, oh, you're psycho. You're crazy. It got so bad one year. It was like Thanksgiving day of 2012. I remember this day because he had pushed me too far over the edge and I decided I can't get out. I can't get away from him. I'm just going to take all of the pills that I have because I don't want to live anymore. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. And it pushed me to that point. And I did, I overdosed and him coming back in and finding me kind of was a blessing in disguise in many ways, because that ended up being the point of where I started to actually get real help. Mm-hmm. And that was in the form of mental health help. I ended up going right. into the hospital, um, the psychiatric unit for a week. Um, that was the start of my training of DBT, which is dialectical behavioral training. Mm-hmm. And I got a grip on my um, regulation skills for my emotions. Um, I learned so many skills where I was able to set boundaries, say no. Um, and even then, I went through the DBT for three years, but it took that whole time for me to build up these skills and be able to stand up to him without being afraid of him. That was the first step of saving my life, really, um, for me to be able to get those skills to stand up to him because I was terrified to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had a counselor who was like, you need to do what's best for you. You're in the right. He's in the wrong. And she would remind me of this every single day that I saw her. Mm-hmm. Um, so the support of, of that therapist was amazing. I don't know if I could have done it on my own, honestly. Oh, after it's, him it's get out. Yeah. Because his voice was in your ear for 12 years. So it right. takes a long time to get that out. Yeah. And even though I've been away from him for so long now, if there's a certain tone of voice from a male or loudness, I, tr- I tense right up, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a trigger for me still, even through all of the skills that I've developed. Um, mm-hmm you know, to try to deal with it after, I don't even remember how long it was of this. I just had had enough, like enough is enough. Is this the way I want to live my life? And I said, no, I can't live the rest of my life like this. I'm miserable. Right. You know, if it weren't for a bunch of wonderful friends that I have, um, that were encouraging me and listening to me cry and be upset. And, you know, if it weren't for my friends, I would probably still be there. But I had that support group in place where I was able to move back home and get away from him. I met a really nice guy who was purely a friend at the time who was telling me, you deserve better than this. 
Then you do, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I did, but I, yeah, definitely. Time, I was so beaten down. I didn't believe I deserved anything. Right. You know, he had just beat me down so much that I didn't think I deserved a thing. You know, it's funny because nowadays, you know, I don't hear from him very often, but once in a while I do. And he has apologized to me and said that it was all me. I mean, it was all him. You know, it wasn't me. And that mm-hmm. he appreciates me trying to make him a better person. Blah, blah, blah. I right. At the time, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Hoovering. Well, well, at the time when he was saying these things, I was thinking, my God, this, this is going to try to cycle into this cycle again where he wants me back. And I just wasn't having any of it at that point. They say the best way to take care of a narcissist is to just totally ignore them. It can be easy to fall back into that cycle and you don't want to do that. So it is super easy, especially when you're a single mom, a single Mm. woman, you don't have a lot of resources on your own. You know, I had disabilities physically um, where I was living on um, social security. So it's not like I had a big, huge income. Right. Where I could just take them out of money and go. But luckily with the townhome that we had bought, we ended up selling it. And that helped me start over as well because I had this little chunk of money where I could go and get in my own place and not worry right. about having anybody control me. Right. Um, and that and, makes you, know, you feel good. Of, yeah. And it did. And a lot of women, they don't have that. And what I tell them is there's resources out there to get that help because It's not just physical abuse, verbal abuse and emotional neglect and abuse is just as bad as the physical abuse. And these organizations that are out there to help these women are put in place. They'll get people set up in a place where they're safe, Mm -hmm. where they can kind of get the resources they need and pull their lives together. So they don't need to depend on that man. But, you know, it took a lot of insight and, and talking to myself about what do I want in life? Is this how I want to live my life? Right. Why am I doing this to myself? Why am I doing this to my children? I try to inspire women now, you know, to do, you know, what they need to do and, and teach them that they're strong, just as strong as I was. You know, it's just about right. looking within and saying enough is enough. And you're not just talking. I mean, you did the work. So yeah, definitely. Right. And it wasn't easy. Like I want to reiterate for anyone out there who's thinking that they need to get out of the situation they're in. It takes a lot of hard work on yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. you need the counseling to rebuild your self-esteem because they will tear you down until you don't have any. I just want to take a second to say, if you feel like that you need to get out of a relationship, the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-SAFE. You can text 7233 and the TTY number uh, will put on the website, but it is 1-800-787-3224. So what is the mantra for this week, Angie? Allow yourself to let go of the people, thoughts, and situations that poison your well-being. Love yourself enough to create an environment in your life that is conducive to the nourishment of your personal growth. And that's really kind of hard for some people to do, but yeah, Yeah, it is. It's really hard, but if you can do it, it is, it's so nice and such a relief. Mm -hmm. And you're worth it. Just remember that if you're in this situation where you're in a relationship with 
someone with narcissistic personality disorder, just remember you're you're doing the right thing for yourself to cut Definitely. that out. Really, you are. Yep, and you got it. They're going to try to get a hold of you again. Just don't. Oh, yeah. Hoovering. Oh, that was another yeah. one. Hoovering. Hoovering is when they try to get a hold of you again when you haven't talked to them in a while. So, yes, they will try to get a hold of you. So keep that in mind. And um, we hope that you learned something from this uh, episode. It was really hard for us to actually do this episode because of our personal experience. And if any of this was triggering, you know, make sure you do some of those self-care um things that work for you. And we're going to put a short meditation at the end of this. So hopefully that will help as well. Uh, Remember that we're stronger together and we hope to see you next time. Uh, Take care. Bye guys. Mask up. Peace out. can be found at anchor.fm slash unified. There you can find all social media links as well as other ways to listen.